Let me invite you now to take your Bibles and turn to Colossians, Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Only two verses, so I don't think it'll take too long. <laughs> Leslie looks at me with doubt as you laugh with doubt. Jason, you did say that when uh, we uh, begin the new uh, series, the, the new uh, transition, I should say, in September, that I need to preach a little longer in the second service in particular to give more time so the first people can get out of the driveway, the parking lot. Is that what you said? That's awesome. That's what I heard tonight. That's what, what I heard. Hey, I, seriously, I just want to share with you uh, three truths as we look at this scripture tonight. Nuge helped us out last week as he talked to us about praying for opportunities that God would give us. He would give us, uh, he would open uh, the, the way for, for Paul and his companions. And also we pray for those open opportunities. I hope that you're praying right now that God would give us greater and greater opportunities over these next few weeks. As new people come into Ruston, hey, just this afternoon, uh, Leslie was telling me about a family that she met uh, that would be moving down from the north of us to Ruston, looking for a church home because there are a lot of people with school starting and those kinds of things happening, coming in our community. We want to pray for them and pray for the opportunities and pray that we would be faithful. Also, we want to make sure that we are walking wisely, that, that we are redeeming the time, that we're using our speech because get this, our walk and our talk make a difference. That's what I want you to see tonight as we look at this passage. Our walk and our talk do make a difference. I love the way Paul writes these letters. So often he will lay them out with the, with the deep theological doctrine truths that we need. They found us. They, they give us a grounding in who we are in our identity. And they remind us of the deep work that Jesus Christ has done for us. So I love the way Paul lays these letters out. So often he'll put the doctrine out there. He'll say you, it's important that you know what you believe and who you are, but then he'll come back and he'll talk to us about the practice. You see that in a lot of his correspondence. He'll give you the doctrine because it, it does matter what you think, right? It matters what you believe. But then he'll say, this is how it affects your talk and your walk. He says, it will play itself out into your lives. So here tonight, he is so practical. I mean, these two verses don't get much more practical in all of the scripture of how we are to live our lives, how we're to walk and how we are to talk. So look at this, verse five, he says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each other or each one. He says that it, it does matter how you walk and how you talk. So in verse 5, I've, I've broken these down into three truths. So in verse 5, what I hear him saying is this, watch your step. Watch your step. Now, when you're out walking around doing things, you do watch your step, don't you? Hopefully you do. If you're out in the yard this time of year, you better watch your step, right? Because you never know what little creature or critter might be around the corner. 
You've got to make sure that you're watching your step. I remember when I would go with my dad hunting. I came up hunting. Now, we didn't ever deer hunt. We didn't ever really do much hunting outside of just quail hunting. So you know what a quail is? You remember? It's a long time ago. Don, you've got a couple that you've nurtured out here in the courtyard, right? And you tell me they're wild. They're gone now? Bill? Bill? You did cook quail the other day. Did you not? Did you not cook quail? You kicked, he cooked your quail? I'm sorry. Seriously, there were two quail out in the courtyard up until about three or four weeks ago when we had them in the back with Bill, obviously. But I would go out and I would hunt with my, uh, I would hunt with my dad and we would quail hunt. We would open it on Thanksgiving day and we would, I mean, my dad would trek all kinds of properties. You know, I knew that we were on other people's properties, but we never really cared back then. You know, like there weren't those no trespassing signs up and all of that. You just, you were free to just walk, you know, and we walked and we walked and we walked and we would cross uh, creeks and we would do all kinds of things. And I was younger. Uh, my dad still tells stories about when we would cross those creeks and I would have to jump on his back because I can't swim, by the way. And I jump on his back and he would tote me across and uh, again, those were good days. But man, you had to watch your step when you were out in the woods. You had to watch where you were walking. I mean, not just with critters, but you might have a hole that you would fall into. And again, you were crossing people's property and they had put up fences. Of course, again, they weren't real boundaries for us, but there were fences up you'd have to cross and you have to be careful and all those kinds of things that you'd have to, you had to watch your step when you were outside, when you were walking around. But you know, in your spiritual walk, you really have to watch your step. You have to watch because if you're not careful, you can fall quickly, especially if you fall in front of an unbeliever. You must be very, very careful. It is important that you walk wisely, that you watch your step. Believers or unbelievers, I should say, are taking note of your life and my life every day. There are people around the community that watch us, and they watch how we conduct ourselves. And it is important that even when we fall, listen, we will fall. We will mess up. If you don't think you're going to fall, you're already, you are already prepared in some sense to take that fall. Because your attitude has already lent itself to a stumble. You and I will fall. Even though how we deal with that fall, how we get back up and how we walk correctly, ministers and speaks to the people who are around us. Falling though is not fun, is it? No, it's not fun. Not whatsoever. Let, let me remind you, Hebrews chapter 12. I just thought about it while I was looking at this passage, but Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so, so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now the analogy is for running there. Now I prefer walking. 
I'm proud of Paul here, the writer of Hebrews. I'm not sure if I can really, uh, uh, I, I can't really relate to too well in this running theme or this running idea. But I understand what he says when the, he mentions the sin which so easily ensnares us. The sin will so easily just trap us. It will trip us while we're running or while we're walking. It will trip us. And when we fall, again, people, people see that. And it's not fun to fall. It is not. Sometimes it hurts. Oftentimes it hurts. And if it doesn't hurt, if it doesn't hurt us physically, it hurts our pride. Does it not? I guarantee you, if I were walking down, I'm setting myself up for a fall. I can see this now. But if I were walking down these steps at the end of the service and all of a sudden I start kind of like getting off balance and I kind of roll into the front pew, I mean, I'm going to jump up as fast as I can. I don't want anybody to think that anything's happened. I, hopefully you were in prayer. You were meditating. Something was going on. And you wouldn't have noticed it because I wouldn't want you to see that. Nobody, nobody. Falling is not fun. So you got to watch how you step. And it's, it's in your testimony and the testimony that you have. And again, toward those who are unbelievers. Note verse 5, to those who are outside. Uh, the word, the original word that's used there is the word that we get our word exit from. Literally. Those who are who have exited or those who are outside they, they haven't come in yet. I do believe he's talking about unbelievers, especially as he had been talking about the door opening that the gospel would be spoken to individuals that didn't know Christ. So I think this context and especially this talks about the unbelievers that we're walking wisely before that we're making sure that we're keeping a clean, pure testimony. And, and I'll say, I say this, there are so many areas today that we have got to be so wise in the way we conduct ourselves. Even more so today, because of social media and the things that are going on today, you and I need to give even extra, extra attention to the way we're walking. Now, this may fall into talking, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and mention it here. Even in the way... We post things on social media of the things, the, the things that we talk about, the things that we brag about, the things that we uh, relate to others. We need to be wise in the way we're doing that. Because today there are so many unbelievers who are watching that. Are, are you are you conducting yourself even on social media in ways that are uplifting, that are wise to unbelievers. Will an unbeliever see your post and in some way be turned farther away from Christ or be drawn closer to Christ? Think about that. If you post something, let me, let me say this, and I know none of you do this, but if you post something that's kind of negative toward the kingdom of God or toward Christ, do you really think that's helped the kingdom? If you post something of activities that may not be the most beneficial to the community and to the faith, let me say to the faith community in particular, and you post that out there, do you think that helps draw people to Christ? Our walk and our conduct makes a difference. And yes, we will fall, but we should not use that as an excuse to do whatever we want to do. Did you hear me? 
We all admit we will fall. But unfortunately, we use it in a, as an excuse just to sometimes say, all right, well, let's just go ahead and do it. No. The heart of Christ is one of obedience. And if we have developed the heart of Christ, we're wanting to do everything we can to demonstrate ourselves pure and holy and, and faithful to those who are outside. They need to see a pure, authentic, real witness. It's okay for us to share problems. It's okay for us to tell them that we're not perfect. But what we need to tell them is why. And tell them how we can go each and every day in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of His working in our lives, that we can walk each day according to Him. It is important. We need to be careful in the things that we do that will in some way push people away from Christ. Again, this may be under talk, but hey, that just means I'm covering more, more material in the first point, right? And the last point won't have as much. I would even suggest to you those of us who are politically minded, and you may not know this, but I am. I am. Leslie will tell you I can't turn off the television sometimes. Now, she will help me get that stuff off. But, I mean, I just, I follow when they have elections. Mississippi just had election. I still follow what's going on over there. I look up and I follow the little, uh, the little county by county result. I find myself to be what I think a, a good political pundit. And I'll tell Leslie, when we see certain races over there, I said, oh, no, Hines County hadn't come in yet. We're in trouble. There's still some votes out in DeSoto County in Mississippi. I still know, and I'll do it here in Louisiana too. I just say Mississippi because they just had a big election just this last week or so. And I'll be looking at it. So I'm, I mean, I'm all with you folks, okay? Some of you who are politically minded, I'm with you. But you and I need to be careful what we're posting and what we're talking about that will drive unbelievers away from the church unnecessarily. Now, I believe in being bold in truth. I hope you know that. You can't tell that? I think it's fine to be bold. We just need to be wise. I think it's fine to speak about issues that we need to speak biblically about. I'm just saying to you that sometimes we get so caught up in certain candidates, we, uh, we have missed the boat. I, I will say again, as I've said, there are too many things happening in Lincoln Parish right now. You're not going to hear me or see a sign in my yard or anything else because there are too many unbelievers in this parish that need the Lord Jesus that I'm not going to alienate because I've supported somebody, even if I love them, even if I'm voting for them, even if I want to with everything I got, not going to do it. Even if it's 20% of the people I'd alienate, 20% of the people that might need the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus is a whole lot more important of being elected to their lives than some other position in our parish and beyond. All right, now move on. Watch your step. Walk wisely. Don't do anything that will give unbelievers a reason to besmirch the holiness and the work of the Lord Jesus. Don't do it. And think about it before you do it. Think about it. How will it impact the kingdom? I think that's what he's, walk wisely. And then I want to say to you, you need to buy your time. 
Watch your step. Buy your time. Now, usually when you think about buying your time, you think about just waiting, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I want to use it the way Paul uses it. Paul says, redeem your time. The word redeem means to buy back, to buy back that time. Now, you can't literally buy back time, can you? I wish we could. I wish I could buy back a few days. You can't. What he means is, make the most of every opportunity. Take the opportunity that God has given you and redeem it. Make sure it is used again for the kingdom. Make it count. Make the most of every opportunity. You know, I realize that more and more every day. That God has called me and he's called you to be a good steward of the time that we have. The time, the season. And literally, when you look at that, it does mean like a season or a, a, a uh, an appointed period that God has given you. He says, you need to make the most of it. I realize that every day. And stewardship really does include time. It does. Now, see, I can always make more money. I can give more. I can provide more in resources. I can do that, and I should. But once time has passed me, there's no getting it back. So we seize the opportunity that God has given us for Christ Jesus. We make the most of the opportunity that he has given us. I want to uh, show you even the example of Paul here. Where's Paul when he writes the book of Colossians? Man, somebody better get this right. I almost finished with the whole book of Colossians. It's going to be something when I have to start right over again. Yeah, somebody's looking at those notes in your Bible real quickly, aren't you? There's got to be a background passage. There's got to be a background study somewhere in this Bible. Huh? He is in Rome, most likely. These are captivity epistles that we have, like Colossians. Uh, he is under house arrest. I don't think he's actually in a dungeon at this point. He will be later in Rome when he writes First and Second Timothy. Uh, when he'll write uh, Titus, I think there are sometimes then, specifically I should say Second Timothy, that he will be in a jail, he'll be in a dungeon. But according to the end of Acts that we just looked at, we just looked at, he was under house arrest, and people were able to come to him and talk to him, and he was able to share the gospel with people. So look at this. He, he just tells us we ought to redeem our time, but he's actually given us an example at the very moment he's writing this. He's under house arrest. You would think that he wouldn't be able to utilize his time effectively because it means under arrest. If I'd been under arrest, even house arrest, I probably would have been praying for release every day or I'd been thinking about my own miseries and wondering how they're going to sneak a lemon ice box pie by the soldiers and stuff. And I'm thinking all these kinds of things that are happening. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm telling you, I'm not sure I would have redeemed the time. But Paul gives us an example. What's Paul doing? He's writing letters. He's praying for churches. How do I know that? Well, I read the letters. 
He's praying for them. He's encouraging churches. He's redeeming the time. But specifically, as it relates to the context of verse 5, he's sharing the gospel with unbelievers in Rome. Remember, he's got to walk wisely. He's saying to us, walk wisely with those who are outside, those who are unbelievers. And he says, make the most of the time you have with them. So I'm in Rome. I got a little time to do a little preaching. I'm in Rome. I got a little time to make some relationships. I'm in Rome. I'm going to, I'm going to take this time to glorify Christ wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Oh yeah. Didn't he say something like that? Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give me thanks to God, the father through him. I think he said something about that. And that's what he's doing. So he's under house arrest, and he's sharing the gospel. Actually, when he writes Philippians, which is around the same time, he'll say that the Praetorian Guard had actually heard, and many of them had responded to the gospel. The, the very guard that was charged with the protection of Caesar, <laughs> the elite, the gospel is spread there. And he would say to the Philippians, he said, you know what? This has actually turned out for the good. God has taken it, and God's redeemed the time, and he's used it for good because he wanted this season to count. He wanted this opportunity for the gospel to spread. If God can redeem the time, that means he redeems it on your behalf, and you, as a good steward, you can take it and make the most of the opportunity that he has given you. So I say to you, watch your step every day and buy your time. Redeem it. Find the most of every opportunity that God gives you. You're going to have one tomorrow. You're going to have one the next day. As a matter of fact, you're going to have probably more than one tomorrow because tomorrow's Monday. And God fills up your Monday with opportunities. You know why? Because he knows you already don't want anything coming at you. You're tired, so God gives you more. He just says, I got to show you. You got opportunities. First day of the school week coming, for those of you going to school, you got opportunity. Whether you're a student or you're an educator or whatever else, you got an opportunity. Make the most of it. Because guess what? The year's going to be past you before you even realize it. I know some of you don't think it now because you're just getting started. But hey, before you know it, May's here. And you who are educators, that opportunity you had with that specific student in your class, that opportunity will be passed. Redeem the time. Buy your time. And finally, this is my favorite one. Use some salty language. I better make sure I clarify that well. Because <laughs> unfortunately, I know many of you too well. <laughs> I'm not talking about using something that's crude or something like that. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So Paul says that when you talk, the way you express yourself to others, you should find grace in your conversations. And the language that you use the, the communication that you have in your life, 
It should be seasoned with salt. You need to be a salty person. Well, let me, let me take this grace for a moment. Grace is what? Unmerited favor, giving people what, better than what they deserve. So when I speak to somebody else, am I giving others better than what they deserve when I speak to them? Am I speaking to them with grace? Grace-filled conversations. Grace-filled homes, grace-filled relationships, grace-filled conversations. Whatever comes from my mouth, is it an example of grace? And is it seasoned with salt? Now, isn't it something that often you see the Bible writers or Jesus give us this analogy of salt? Even when Jesus was giving his Sermon on the Mount, he told us that we're the light of the world and we're the salt of the earth. Remember? He, he, he told us that was our purpose, to be salt. We're to be salty people. We're to be lights of the world. I remember many years ago, a guy named Dr. Bill Harden preaching one of the best messages I ever heard. And he talked about, um, he, he, he talk about, talked about lights that shine and salt that would shake. And how we need to be Christians who would shake with the salt and shine with the light. And I've never forgotten that because that is our purpose. And even as we speak, we are to be allowed our language to be seasoned with salt. Now, salt was used for different purposes. It was used, used as a seasoning. And the word here, I went and looked it up to make sure. The word is to season, to flavor. I mean, salt does help everything thing a little bit, right? I'm trying to look around seeing if I see many from the medical profession in here, but I think they're not here tonight, so that's okay, because now, see, I've got a little extra spiritual kind of edge on them, and they've got a little medical edge on me, probably, but the, the, the salt, the, the salt kind of does season things, yeah, just, just a little, brings a little flavor to it. So there is a sense especially in the context of this passage, that when you're speaking to somebody, when you got to give an answer to somebody, that's what he says, when you, when you answer somebody else, when they have a question for you, and I'm assuming here the way he says it, is it's a question about the kingdom, it's a question about the gospel, that you are able to flavor your language in, in a way that is, in a way that is flavorful, a way that is, attracting and bringing in others. I think there's something about that. Now, again, I said we need to be bold. We always need to speak the truth. I, I am not saying back up from the truth. But I believe there is a way that you do speak the truth. And I believe there's a way you can do it seasoned with salt and bringing some flavor and attract it to it. I really do. Now, it may take us some, some more moments to think about how we're going to do it, right? But it's okay. Just write this down. Some, many of you need to write this down. So just write this down, okay? It is okay to think before you speak. <laughs> Let that settle in on you just a minute. You really need to think. If you're going to be seasoned with salt and it's going to have this, you need to think. I had a deacon's wife tell me one time. She said, Brother Reggie, I'm just going to be honest. I just say what comes on my mind. I said, no kidding. 
She said, I just don't think before I speak. And I said, see, therein is the problem. That's the problem. You should. You got to think. You, you, choose your words wisely. You're going to walk wisely. You're going to watch your step. You're going to make the most of the time. You're going to buy your time. Then that means you also need to, to be very careful and you need to be wise. You need to be intentional when you use salty language. How are you speaking to these individuals? How are you answering? Them? And this would also go back to the social media, right? How can I utilize this to be an attractant for Christ, flavorful for Christ? I'm not turning people off. I mean, there are some things I've eaten before, right, that were just atrocious to eat. I mean, sometimes you, you've had something like that before. Liver? Oh, no. No, you talking about the beef liver? You talking about the chicken? The chicken liver is good. Don't knock me off. You might knock me off course, Karen. I'm sorry about <laughs> We were in Hungary a few years ago, and... Um, where I don't even see him right now. He may be here. I can't see him. But we were, uh, we were walking uh, there in Hungary. We were going to eat with, we always ate in these homes uh, with folks. And uh, there was this big guy that was welcoming us to his home. Wonderful, wonderful family. Now, you understand they're a little bit different from us culturally. You understand, you understand that, right? I mean, I was from North Mississippi. I knew that they'd be a little different, so I was cultured and everything in this. But still... I was walking up there, and this guy, Liz, you, this guy, we were, we were up there. The guy said, hey, he said, uh, come on in, come on, come on in. And uh, he said, uh, and he really didn't speak much English at all. I mean, I don't even think he knew that. I mean, it was just kind of like, and he did say this to me. He looked at me and said, beer? I said, no, 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 no beer. Mm -mm. Wine? I said, no, 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 no wine. He said, what the... I said, yeah, I'll take some water. Ivan Hood looked at me and he said, he didn't say water. <laughs> I said, he didn't say water. He sounded like he said water. Ivan said, no, he said vodka is what he said. <laughs> I said, no, he didn't. He said, yes, he did. He said vodka. I went and caught the guy and said, no, no vodka, no vodka. And the guy went, and then he brought out the food, and it was, a, I mean, it looked, it looked awesome. It looked awesome. They had little kinds of meats and all and everything and stuff, and Ivan was sitting down by me, and we were eating and all, and we, we were trying to, oh, man, I'd gotten like four pieces of that meat on your plate, and you know what it's like when you get too much of stuff, and it's, you know it's not good, and you're trying to get it down. You know, some of you got little secrets. I saw a couple of you the other day. You put napkins. Jason, you put a napkin over your plate. I saw you the other day do that. A napkin where the people wouldn't see what you hadn't eaten and all. But I was afraid to do that. We were trying to eat. And I was trying to get salt and put salt on there. And like finally I traded uh, Ivan a few pieces of my meat for his stuff on his plate so we could get through. You know what it's like. I mean, you're just sitting there like, oh, I can't get this down. You know what? There have been times where you and I gave people that same expression about Jesus, that same experience. Because we came off like we did. We didn't have any joy in our life, maybe. In our speech, we didn't have any joy. We weren't flavorful at all. We, all we did is we turned them off. When they walked away, it was kind of like they went, oh, God, that's a bad taste. You and I need to be reminded that when we speak to people, we need to bring flavor. We need to be seasoned with salt. And you know, 
Some commentators would disagree with me on this, but it's fine. I think they're wrong, obviously. Um, salt was used as a preservative as well. And some commentators say, well, this is just about seasoning. No, I think it's also a sense of preservative here. Salt, the primary purpose of salt was preservatives, for, to preserve meat. When you were the salt of the earth, it was the idea that you were going to preserve those who were around you. How do you preserve them? You preserve, I mean, what would salt do? It preserve rotting meat. And I hate to be that graphic, but there is rotting meat around us everywhere. Meat, uh, and I say, that's people. People that are rotting and going to hell all around us. And yet, God has given us a great opportunity to help preserve them, for them to know what the kingdom is like, and for them to come into the kingdom. And I think when I speak, and I... When I use whatever language it is, it should be language that is preserving, that will help people uh, find a, a, a preservative in their relationship with God, that, that we help them. The, the passage in Ephesians that parallels this talks about wholesome speech, edifying encouraging. It's the same type of language that is used here that our speech with salt will help preserve the people who are around us. So I challenge you. I challenge you. Use salty language, but use it the way I said. Use it the way Paul speaks about it. And every time you say something, measure it and say, will this help the relationship that I have with this person? Will this help the relationship that they have with Jesus Christ? Will the words that I speak bring life and not death? Too many people, too many people today are using words to destroy other people. You, you and I as believers, we are to use words to bring life to other people. Why? Because we have met the life giver face to face. We have had a conversation with him. He has worked in our lives. He has done something different. And when I speak about him, I want people to know that he is the one that gives life and that they can come to know life through him. It is important, it is important that we season our language with salt, that we are flavorful, but we are a preservative to those who are around us, edifying, bringing wholesomeness to those who are around us. Watch your step. Watch it tomorrow, watch it Tuesday, watch it Wednesday, watch your step. Buy your time, make it count, and use language, salty language, seasoned with salt as preservative of bringing others into the kingdom. You don't get much more practical than that. And Paul wants us to be practical people, demonstrating the Lord Jesus Christ in our testimony. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us just practical counsel through your word. God, you've been stirring in our midst. You've been working in within us and through us. And God, now I pray that you would continue to do it even this week. I pray as we leave this place, as we go into our communities tonight, tomorrow, I pray that we would take the words that are spoken here and we would use those words appropriately. 
appropriately for your kingdom. Give us wisdom. God, we live in a culture right now where every word that we speak is picked apart. And we pray that you would give us wisdom so that what we say would demonstrate truth. But Lord, it would be, it would be measured with grace and it would be flavored with salt. God, I pray that you would help us just make our testimony count from day to day. Because we know that you've appointed a, a time in which you will call us home. And Lord, we want to make every effort to please you and to satisfy you and to fulfill your will and plan for our lives before that time. Lord, just go with us now and speak to us and bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?